I'm Carlos Royce Walk, and these are just some thoughts on a Sunday. And what I do in these weekly updates is I share where we are at in helping some Afghan Christians um, in their immigration journey, as well as just um, a few thoughts for the week. And um, this started uh, back actually in October of last year when I was um, covering some a Bible study for my friend Mark Ritchie. Uh, let me find his, where is he? Um, he had been uh, teaching Bible studies in Pakistan via Zoom since 2020. And I had started to help him back in 2021. And so I was filling in for him in October. And um, the, um, the class I was covering were with Afghan refugees that had escaped escaped to Pakistan in 2021. And um, there was the some questions about, you know, what to do about um, their status in Pakistan, because Pakistan was cracking down on um, people who were in the country that didn't have valid visas. And on top of that, they just weren't issuing new visas. So or it was very hard to get new visas for them. So that kind of started a whole new thing about, okay, how do we get them um, with proper documentation so they're not deported back to Afghanistan and what are our immigration options? And so that just kind of started the whole thing. But um, then Mark's friend Don um, started helping. He has a ministry, Donshire Ministries at donshireministries.org. And he agreed to partner with us to accept donations that could be sent to help um, the Afghans. And so he is the person that handles, um, that Mark donates to his ministry and then Don sends it however it needs to be sent, whether in Afghanistan or Pakistan and how, whichever way, because sometimes that's a little, a little tricky getting it there. And um, so if anyone, donates to donshireministries.org and selects race to walk, then that goes to help our people that we are working to help. But the topic of today's stream is the danger of detachment and, or the destruction of detachment. I guess that's what I titled it. And I have just been, since I started with us, I am coming to this situation with no preconceptions because I didn't know anything about immigration to begin with, really hadn't been paying that much attention to foreign affairs either. And so really didn't know what was going on at all. And it's, as I was looking at um, the immigration options or the lack of them for them to go to other countries, what was happening with the immigration paths that were said to be for them that were not being processed, um, just what not only what was going on with the U.S., but what was going on the worldwide. It was just so bizarre to me because I was thinking, what is going on here? Why is this so? It just really felt like there was a door, like every door was shut against them and that there was this overwhelming effort to just shuttle them back into, you know, the hands of the Taliban. And so I've been trying to figure out what's, what's going on with this. Why is there such why is there so much resistance to um, not only U.S., but to all of NATO and the allies fulfilling the promises that were made? And I don't know that I still have an answer. I 
you know, some of the things that I've been hearing um, from people that are on the ground there, it's very obvious that the CIA is working with the Taliban. Um, I've really been puzzled about um, Pakistan. Like, what what is going on with Pakistan? Why are they being so hostile to um, the to Afghans? And, and I realize that this isn't new. And there's they, they do have a lot of refugees, and there's kind of waves of you know. Um, sometimes they'll you know be more. Um, and this is before 2021, before the church the pullout, but sometimes they'll be, you know, really uh, insistent on getting unregistered people out or, you know, people that don't have valid visas out and then they're a little bit more lax. But what happened in 2021 is um, in the beginning, they were, uh, UNHCR refugee certifications were being given um, to Afghans. And then that got shut off because Pakistan doesn't want the certificates being given out because if the UN designation is given, then they have safety or they should have safety in the country that they're in. And, and Pakistan doesn't want more refugees. Pakistan also stopped the refugee registration for Afghans. Like before 2021, they were doing that. Now they're not. And so even the things that were a process for them before, it's like we have this big pullout. There's a couple months where there's some movement and people being, you know, either getting the UNHCR certifications or the refugee reg uh, registration, or there's uh, we had a, a short period where there was um, to the U.S. there was the a pilot program um, for sponsor circles where a sponsor could uh, sponsor a refugee, you know, and, and bring them over. Um, that actually, then it was shut off at the end of 2021 to Afghans, and it was just extremely to Ukrainians and Venezuelans. So that was 2022, and now 2023, they've started Welcome Corps, which is kind of based off of that. Um, but it's just, it's so bizarre. It's like, like what is going on? So, you know, I am, you know, we're looking at the different paths, but also, you know, I need to know, I'm trying to figure out like, who is the person that I need to be talking to, to help them? Because a lot of times what will happen with, even when paths do open up, the, the, there'll be an announcement that, that a country is taking a certain number of people and then there's this huge rush to, you know, for people applying, but then you find out later that those spots were already filled by the time it's even announced. So people have to know, you know, like you have, your people have, to, if you want somebody to get one of the spots, your people have to be known. So, you know, I've been just been trying to think like who, who is a person that, or who are, who do I need to be talking to to get my people on the list? And who is it that I need to be, uh, talking to and petitioning to, you know, get an out for them because this is, it's just, it's so, there's so much resistance to them moving and that it's just very bizarre and you need to know like who, who is a stick and how do you make this move? And, um, so I've been listening to this, uh, 
this podcast lately called um, the, the called Jihad Gen- Generation Jihad. It's produced by the writers at the Long War Journal. Um, there's a think tank in Washington D.C. and I can't remember the name of it. It's like Foundations for Democracy, Democracies or something like that that funds it. But they began. I think I probably said this last week, but they began publishing this podcast in March 2020, which was just a couple of weeks after the Doha agreement. They had been writing about the dynamics of what was going on in the Middle East for, they started the Long War Journal 13 years before. And they were talking from the very beginning how disastrous the Doha agreement was, that it no, no agreement would have been better than what they they got in the Doha agreement. They basically just, you know, rolled over and played dead to the Taliban and let the Taliban take whatever they wanted. And as they said, as the host said, they didn't, the U.S. did not need to have an agreement with anybody, with the Taliban, to withdraw. They could have just withdrawn, but they basically gave support backing to the Taliban. And then turned out, you know, they released 5,000 fighters and we're, we're still paying the money and um, the Taliban are terrorists and thugs. And so I was just, it's just, just trying to figure out what's going on. So I started listening in episode number one and I, when I walk, I just like listen to this like on, you know, sped up a little bit so I can get through them a little faster. But this last... I can't remember which episode this was, but it was, um, I think it might have been episode 15. They interviewed, and this is, again, they, the episodes I'm listening to right now are back in, uh, from 2020. So it's a little, it's a little bizarre to like hear what they're talking about, you know, what's going on and the things that they were warning of then is exactly what's happened, you know, after the withdrawal. So, but they were doing a, um, an interview with the author of a book called In the Dark of War. And she was um, basically, it was, uh, she was stationed in Libya and she was, uh, she wrote a book about that year that she was stationed there and when they withdrew and what was involved. And um, I have, I've not read the book, I've just, uh, actually did get it on Audible. I haven't listened to it yet, but, um, she, they were just talking to her about, um, you know, her experience and what she saw. And, you know, it was really interesting. She was talking about, you know, the importance of relationships and that sometimes, you know, when people just look at numbers, you know, like they look at, okay, they, they try to make, they try to make, um, to project what's going to be happening, but they're not looking at all the dynamics of what's going on and they don't understand the relationships between people. Um, and that it's not like an easy formula, you know, to try to figure out, you know, what's going to be going on. And she shared about like how, you know, for her, it was, she said it was, um, important to her to uh, get to know people by name. Um, they had military, like 
uh, Libyan military that was basically protecting the area where they were at. And she said, I, you know, tried to get, um, make sure that I knew them, um, by name so that, you know, they knew that I saw them as a person. And this actually, um, played a big role in like that, that they were able to even get out in the end. But one of the things that she said was that the state department, they didn't listen to them didn't listen to the analysts uh, about what was going to be happening. And they were talking a little bit, she and the host were talking a little bit about just some of the um, dynamics just in Washington about, you know, the, the State Department and that that's really common. They, they just they're there and they have thoughts about things and they don't know what it's really like on the ground and how it's actually going to play out. And she said that, you know, in the end, she said you are, when you're in a situation like that, you're fighting for the person next to you, not, you know, for this abstract, um, this abstract concept of country, you know, the, what you're fighting for is a person the people that you know. And I think that is probably, it probably explains a lot is we have people that are making decisions that are very detached from the people that it, those decisions are affecting. And, um, you know, they, they don't want to, this is just my take, you know, they don't want to, like human nature is we don't want to admit that we're wrong, right? And so listening to these episodes that I have so far, uh, Generation Jihad, one of the things that they've said, and I don't even know if it was that um, episode or if it was some others that I've listened to, but they just talk about how short-sighted in general that our um, international strategy is We're talking about the short-sightedness not only in the State Department but also in um, the uh, in the military they said that you know the people that are the troops you know are good but that we have very poor leadership and that there's no long-range plan and there's no long-range vision and so and it's not only that, but he's like, you, you know, you have the situation where, like, during the Cold War, there was more of a long-range arch of, like, what the objective was, what the goal is, what the purpose was, why why they were there, and what why they were doing what they were doing. And now we're just going from one term to one term. Or maybe, I didn't say this, but this kind of seems like it. Maybe it's it's not really, decisions aren't made about, you know, whether or not what the impact is going to be um, in the country that that decision is being made for, um, but on how it's going to play out in the next midterm. And so I think that that is part of the problem. And um, just this week we had, it's just happened, I don't know, it's Friday, I think it was Friday. There was a report that came out that was um, is the Afghanistan Af 
after action report. This is Alex Plitis. I can't remember. He's like involved in the evacuation circles. I can't remember. But his criticism of the report was this underwhelming. It's a half-assed job looking into um, a, a political landmine and a strategic failure. But the thing is, like, we keep, you know, we keep going over the same thing over and over again, all these reports. We already know it was a mess. Can we just get things done? Can we just, like, clean up the mess and get things done? That would be good. But so this just came out. This must have been Friday because he was saying, they were saying that it was, I don't know if it was this one or another one, but he was saying that it was dropped, like, on a Friday afternoon before a holiday weekend, right? And so there was a, Biden had, was asked about it, and he basically said that, you know, Al-Qaeda isn't there, that the Taliban is helping, and um, is their partner in counterterrorism, and there were just no words. There are no words, but I think that this explains that this is Beth Braley with the Afghanistan Project podcast. It's just unbelievable. It, it's like, the level of gaslighting in what Biden said about Al-Qaeda and the Taliban is the equivalent of the mega people who claim that it was Antifa that was behind the insurrection. That's the level of gaslighting it is. It's absolutely, completely, and utterly ridiculous. And... That is, <laughs> it's like, you say these words, and do, do you even care about, it's like, it's just a slap in the face. It's a slap in the face to, you know, the people who are sitting there waiting for um, the U.S. to fulfill the promises that it made. So, a couple of weeks ago, I shared that supposedly, there were the U.S. was in talks with the Philippines to um, take some of the the Afghans um, applicants to be processed or to the Philippines to wait while their application is processed. And the question was, why don't they just take them to the United States to do that? Great question. Great question. But why would anybody want to? Because we have people sitting all over the world in these lily pads. Like, for example, Albania is one of them. People have been sitting there waiting for their applications to be processed and still not being processed in the United Arab Emirates. Um, this is this is a uh, a diagram of the different lily pads that you know people are being are waiting and. You know, we could get it done if we wanted to, and obviously we don't. So why is that? And again, I just think that it's more about political expediency. And all I have to say about that is, again, it's very, very, very short-sighted. Um, unbelievably short-sighted. Because you cannot tell me that they don't know exactly what is going on. You know, if... I'm getting the updates about things on WhatsApp, and I'm just a Bible study teacher. I guarantee you that the President of the United States knows what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I can't stand. 
they are there's all these terrorist groups al qaeda is literally it holds high positions and al qaeda members hold high positions in the taliban um they there has been plans actual plans to attack the west again specifically the u.s do not tell me that they don't know this they know this and trump could be foaming at the mouth and in complete meltdown constantly, which I realize that he's not that far from that now. But if there's another strike on the U.S., there is no way, there is no way that Biden will win. He won't. And so I don't know who you think, they, maybe they think they're paying people off until after the 2024 election to hold off strikes or something. I don't know. But that's also dumb because the Taliban does not care about, they don't feel like they need, um, they, they don't need the West's approval. I mean, they want it. It does bother them when they get uh, shown to be like these horrific cretins on social media, but they're going to do what they want. I mean, they completely, completely misjudge them like are they out for money absolutely you know they are you know drug dealers human traffickers i mean thieves they're thugs they're just plain terrorists but they also feel like they're justified in doing that because they feel like they are bringing about this worldwide caliphate and so this is one of the things that the hosts of, of Generation Jihad have been saying is that they are they have that long term goal where we we don't have that. One of the other things is said that we've we've just shown our enemies exactly how to beat the U.S. You just have to stick it out, and we bail because we doesn't seem like we have the um, the stamina to stick it out anymore, I guess. Uh, you know, it's again, it's more short-term rather than looking at the greater good and looking at having a long-range strategy. And I don't know if I can find this. Where is it? There was a, okay, so there, I've been sharing different people that I follow on Twitter. You have to find good people to follow, actually. And um, I'll just go through my people that, my top people, but, okay, so this is my friend Clint. He is, uh, he's a guy that's just been helping people, helping SIV applicants kind of along the, their journey. You know, sometimes you just kind of have to help, give somebody a helping hand to get, keep them going to the next step, and that's what he's been doing. He's had, he's been doing a helping um, since, you know, just individual people as an individual since May of 2021. And so when I have questions about the SAV process, um, like what comes next, he tells me. Uh, Larka Braj, she has, uh, I think her name is Lark Escobar. She used to uh, train at um, a base here in the US when Afghans were brought in for training on different equipment. And so she's very, um, she has a lot of information about uh, what's going on in the different immigration paths. 
this is another guy that came across fairly recently and his name is Steven Jensen and he has he's writing a book on Afghanistan I have a few um, uh, screenshots of or tweets that I'm sharing in the uh, article for this episode on my website so every usually it's on Monday sometimes it takes me longer to get to that but for each um, update, I also post an article on my website at racetowalk.org. And um, I've been putting, for the past couple months, I've been putting links to all the resources that I mentioned, um, and as well as the tweets if I, if I mention them. But he has a lot, he'll have like great uh, Twitter threads about just information about what's going on in Afghanistan and different resources. and so. If you kind of want to know context of what's going on, he's a good person to follow. But um, it is just—it's just so—it's just so, so shameful. It's so shameful for what we've done, and it just not acknowledging that, not acknowledging reality is also just. It's like you cannot do that anymore. You cannot uh, tell people that, um, I mean, when you, have, when you have the ability, when people have the ability to be having instant conversation, Zoom calls with people that are across the world and to actually know what is going on, you, you cannot continue to gaslight like this. You just can't. And, um, Anyway, um, but going back to some of the things that uh, Stephen Jensen's been posting, you know, a lot of so part of the narrative is is that oh, that's the wrong one. Yeah, um, you know, they try to make it seem like Afghanistan is just this unstable country that's you know it's just always had problems, and that's not true. You know, they've they had a stable. Um, stable government. If you go back and look at the pictures of Afghanistan back in the 50s and 60s, it looks, you know, especially considering women, like women were in going to the university, you know, they look like, you know, completely Western, you know, outfits. They, you wouldn't have seen the difference between um, pictures in Kabul, really, versus, you know, some of our U.S. cities. And actually, I just looked this up today women had the right to vote in Afghanistan nationwide in 1964. As far as the U.S., the women got the right to vote in 1920 in the U.S., but it wasn't universal across the U.S., and there were some states that restricted women's voting to, um, you know, just like local, uh, local elections or sometimes they had to own property to be able to vote and uh, it was really closely tied to um, some of the discrimination against um, African Americans as well but um, there were it's very common for the right to vote for women to be restricted in southern states until 1965 so as far as universal right to vote Afghanistan um, actually was a year ahead of the U.S. when it came to women being able to vote. 
And he had, there's, this is another article about, um, you know, there's kind of this narrative out, about there that it's the fault of the Afghans. Like, oh, we tried to help you and you couldn't hold your country. And he points out that there were tens of thousands of Afghans that died in the war defending their country. And um, we, again, we just, we handed the country over to the Taliban. I mean, this is another article on the loss there. And the other thing, too, it's like, okay, well, that's just Afghanistan. It's not. I mean, the thing is that people, that same mindset that, okay, well, it's just, too hard, you know, and if things take effort, then it's just, you know, might as well just bail. There's people that are also pushing for that for Ukraine. Like, okay, let's just, let's just, uh, <laughs> let's just negotiate with, um, you know, totalitarian dictators and just hand, you know, just hand it over to them because it's too hard to fight. I, it's like we never, do we ever even learn our lesson? I mean, wasn't that Neville Chamberlain that thought he had negotiated the peace treaty with Hitler? Yeah, how well did that work out? Uh, I don't know. Okay. So, going back to the topic of the stream, it's like the destruction of detachment. It's like we're not, we don't care enough about you know our own people our you know people that are that we have partnered with to do what we say that we're going to do and we're not willing to put the time in that just causes so much destruction i mean you have to recognize that people are human beings you know we have we should have an obligation to feel like, at least as Christians, we should feel like we have an obligation um, before God to help to help people, let alone the fact that we as a country have made this promise. And we made this promise. So there's just no, um, there's no excuse for it whatsoever. And this is a, this is a quote by C.S. Lewis. This is from, this is from the abolition of man. I had a type of typo here, but um, he writes, um, but the man molders of the new age will be armed with the powers of an omnicompetent state and the irresistible scientific technique. We shall get at last a race of conditioners who really can cut out all posterity in what shape they please. It is not that they are bad men. They are not men at all. Stepping outside of the Tao, they have stepped into the void nor are their subjects necessarily unhappy men. They are not men at all. All their artifacts. Man's final conquest has proved to be the abolition of man. So there's a lot in that quote. But basically what he's saying is that if we do not have empathy and compassion for our fellow human, be fellow human beings, then we're really not, we ourselves aren't human. That's what makes us human. To have being able having this this compassion and recognizing that we are equal before God. And that is, if we can't see that, if we're not making decisions recognizing that, that um, what are we really? You know, that's what our country was founded by, that all are created equal, right? This is that we as 
um, imagers of God have equal value. That's what it's based on. And if we don't recognize and honor that, then what are we doing? But see, that's the thing. There's just like so many things going on in the U.S. particularly, but not only in the U.S., where people really don't believe that. They think that they are better than or have a right then, and they see others just as tools to be used. And that is what, um, that's what C.S. Lewis is talking about. And he calls the people these conditioners, right? Um, in another part of that book, he calls the men without chests. They're, they're really not, they have no, they have the mind, they have the thought, but there is no, there's no heart, there's no, no feeling. And if you can't, um, if you disconnect the rationality of human being with the empathy and compassion for fellow human beings, you're really, what are you? You know, you're really, again, you're no longer human. So, anyway, um, if we can't see how, um, or sometimes I think people see how their actions are going to impact other people and they don't care. But um, I think that also shows, you know, as Christians, who we are and what we really believe. Because if we think that this is the end goal, if we're acting like we think this is the end goal, like we have some short-term um, thing that we think we're going to gain from these actions that are harming other people, what we're really saying is that we don't think that there's a God that we're accountable to. That's what, there's a verse in Psalms, I don't remember which one it is actually, but it's, um, it says, the fool says in their heart, there is no God. It's not talking about like people who are stated atheists. It's like people who are religious people who, you know, they say they're religious, but they really don't believe in a God that's going to hold them to account. Um, I have a, there's a sermon that George MacDonald wrote um, called Faith Proof of the Unseen. I have a reading of of it on my chap chapter or on my channel and you know, he talks about that like faith is you are you, you're walking in it you are you're believing that God is not only will he'll do what he say will he will do but he is who he says he is and that recognizing that you are accountable to him and acting that way and at one point of the sermon, he says, you know, it's like if you were doing a deal and Jesus was standing, you had to run it by Jesus first. Would you be able to do that? And how many people today that are making decisions, particularly, you know, our elected representatives that are supposed to be um, representing the will of the people? And honestly, it's like, now it just seems like that's not even true so much as it is they're owned by you know people who have a lot of money these people who want to be the conditioners and to use everyone else to their own well as you know this is the craziest thing this is like so beyond crazy delaware i think it's passed the senate in delaware they voted to allow llc's to vote if that is not the craziest thing, I mean, that is just like 
disgusting. Corporations are not people. They are not people. And that just makes a mockery of just, <laughs> especially in the U.S. when we say that, you know, in our preamble, like, we are, that all are created equal, right? And all have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That we all have, should have these equal rights. To say that a corporation is that is equivalent, that is just um, so disgusting. I, there are just no words. There's, there's no words for that. It's just utterly disgusting. But that's where we're at. It's like basically more will to power rather than like looking at, you know, recognize that we are accountable to truth. You know, we're all going to answer to God. And I'm sorry, but an LLC is not a person, and Jesus did not die for a corporation. So, anyway, I'm going to move on from that. Um, just for an update about some of the things that are uh, going on in Afghanistan. We don't have a whole lot um, this week. I did want to highlight a couple of things. This is, this is just an example of the type of things that Afghans are facing. You know, the immigration process is so confusing and so there's a lot of fraudsters out there saying that they can do certain things or help them and there was um, an Afghan American who started a nonprofit Afghan called Afghan America Relations Office and he would go out there and say that he could help process SIV applications and then he was saying that he had all this you know, this basically acting like he was a, an official extension of the U.S. government, which is totally not true, and was basically scamming people out of money. It's just so disgusting. So, so, so disgusting. Um, but the other thing is, this is this is a dilemma about anything to do with Afghanistan. I've noticed this a lot. So, there was an article in Time highlighting the... Um, just kind of the problems that one of somebody who had come to the U.S. going from Brazil up and across the Mexican border and the issue is that when they do that they don't have legal status and the the whole argument was that well they're you know they they're just the same as the people who came who were evacuated they should have the same benefits and you know, as they're asylum seekers, it's like, okay, people who were evacuated in 2021, the majority of them are also asylum seekers. They were given humanitarian parole and they had two years to try to basically get another path. So either apply for asylum or sometimes it would be other ways for them to do that. A lot of the people who were evacuated also um, qualified for an SIV application, but none of those have been processed. I mean, they haven't, well, very few. There's been like, out of all of those people that were brought over as of, I found an article as of February, it's like 5,000 of those applications have been processed out of 76,000, which is, again, ridiculous. Which is why um, there has been a push to pass in Congress the Afghan Adjustment Act to give them a path these people who were evacuated, this just applies to them. That has not been um, 
past there was just you know I don't know I don't know what people are doing and it, I think a lot of times people don't act so they can have have you know a drum to bang when they campaign which again is disgusting so um, anyway so this article is telling this story and I'm like this is just okay so number one I in the first I'm glad that they are highlighting the problem but the problem with the article was it was just bad. It had a lot of really bad and misleading information. And this is not unusual. I had, there was another article in the Texas Tribune. I almost sent them an email about just how misleading and some actually wrong information they had in there, but I was busy, so I didn't. But the problem with that is, is that, okay, you're telling the story, you're trying to get people engaged. Okay, good. But when you put out wrong information, it's not helpful for people who are in the same situation uh, and need to know what to do. There's so much misinformation out there. And what was really, really, really irresponsible about that I thought about that article is that they made it seem like that was a possibility for Afghans to come from Brazil to the U.S. The article was published on June 29th, May 10th, was when Title 42, the COVID restrictions ended, Title 42 ended, and Biden basically extended the asylum ban to not just the four countries that it had been, you know, that they had to have affirmative asylum before or else they were going to be, their application was going to automatically be denied. That's for everybody now. That's for everybody now. So basically, coming through the border is not, a, through the southern border for Afghans is not, an option. From what I'm reading, and I could be wrong about this, I don't know, but from what I'm reading, if they come across the border and they go to, uh, under the current conditions, and they go to Brazil and come up through Mexico, now what's going to happen is they're probably going to be, their case is going to be denied and they're going to have, they're going to be deported back to Brazil because that's where they received humanitarian parole. Is, was that covered? No. And maybe they're not touching it because, you know, they're not sure how it's going to play out. But Afghans have access to the Internet most of the time. And they hear some of the same things that everybody else hears. So when we have idiots like on Fox News and any person that's, you know, campaigning on xenophobia, talking about open borders, they hear that too and they think it's real. And it's not. And so they think that coming across the border is an option. It's not a good option. It's not It's not an option. It'd be in a mess. They get nothing, absolutely nothing, until their asylum case is heard and approved. They get nothing. So, and that's basically what the article is saying. And so it's just really, I just thought it was really, really, really irresponsible. Because when... If somebody reads that and they think, I, I cannot even tell you how many times I have said to our people, you know, if you want to go to Brazil, we'll work on making that happen. But do not go to Brazil thinking that you're going to go on to the U.S. from that. Do not do that. It is not a good path. Do not do that over and over and over again. I've had people ask, I've said this multiple times, I've had people ask me, and again, after I've said this multiple times, and so it's this, um, 
it's irresponsible. I mean, it's so irresponsible. Like half people don't even make the live up to the U.S. And then if they do make it here, it's so that oh, that that trip is so dangerous. And then if they do make it across the border, they're just in a mess. They're a complete mess. So anyway, it's just people need to be a little bit more um, responsible about the information they put out. And again, I'm glad that they are. Uh, <laughs> I am glad they are talking about it, but. You have to give out right information because people make life-changing decisions based on the things, the information they come across. Anyway, so that was that was this week. But um, what else? Oh, found out that one of the things I have to work on is getting funding for English classes for our people. Um, one of one of the guys. Um, it's actually RN, uh, was an RN at Kabul, at the hospital in Kabul. He, um, actually, I need to think about that. Okay, I need to remind myself. Make sure if it's a government hospital, he should qualify for an SIV application. You check on that. Anyway, he has, he's given me a lot of different contacts. Um, he gave me like contacts with an Italian NGO that had been evacuating people. Um, I can't remember everybody, but he said that he had been referred to the New Zealand embassy by a pastor. But since he uh, didn't know English, and when they say they don't know English, usually what they mean by that is um, like they don't know, they're not fluent in it. Like they don't know, like they can pick up words. It's not like uh, we don't know Persian, like as in nothing. I mean, they usually have some grasp, but they probably, there'll be words that they don't know. Or if they were sharing, um, speaking to you, like some of the sentence structure probably wouldn't be that great. But I, what they said was that there's, um, a, it's one of the things that's going on right now is that some of the, um, the embassies won't allow interpreters um, and that if they're going to present their case, they have to know English well enough to present it themselves. And his wife knows English. Uh, she has stronger English skills. Uh, she's a midwife. But um, they wouldn't let her come in and present. It had to be him since he was his case went through them. So um, it's one of the things that we need to. But it's not that. We've been talking about that. Uh, actually, Mark has been telling them <laughs> for a long, you know, since I was involved, you know, that they they need to work on English and they need to learn English. And so this is one of the things. If you can't get an interview if you don't know English, it really needs to be a priority. And the other thing that I found out this week is that there's a new expedited employment-based visa for Canada for refugees. That's another thing they have to have. English skills have to test out on them. So um, it's another it's another thing. But if we can get some people moved, um, that would be good. And I was told that the UK and Germany is supposed to be moving people on starting July. So hopefully we have that one guy that was told that he was going to be relocated to or resettled in the UK uh, by UNHCR. I'm going to have to follow up with him and see if he's heard from them. And um, the other person that was told that he was going to be moved to Germany. So anyway, that's the other thing too. I was just thinking about this. 
sometimes I really stress out about uh, just all of it, all of it that needs to happen. Like so many people, so many, just so many people I could be calling, sending emails to. And then something will just turn up and just happen, which I had nothing to do with. And I have to keep reminding myself that, okay, when I'm stressing out, I can only do what I can do. And if when I'm stressing out about this, I am I really trusting God for this? No. Because in the very beginning, I knew, I knew I was like, okay, God's going to have to open the door for these, for this. And I have to, literally have to remind myself this all the time. But it's frustrating because I'm looking at, okay, this person got that, uh, UNA share referral again a miracle like how did that happen how did I ha that happen because I want I want the process right I want the formula to make it happen so we can replicate it and I was just thinking this morning okay look God's opening the doors I mean you're not going to get the formula for that so anyway it's it's been kind of a faith walk and just trying to um I don't know I, I just, uh, I, I don't know. It, it's hard to, it's hard to see what's going on and, um, just kind of keep going and without letting it overwhelm you. But I don't know. You just have to thank God, I guess, for each thing. All our people are safe and, um, We'll just have to keep praying for uh, more open doors and more yeses. So anyway, um, I think I'm gonna call that a date. Oh, I can't believe I'm almost an hour. I was I always tried to like go to like 30 minutes. Obviously that didn't happen. But if you want to help any of our people, um, you can go to DonshireMinistries.org and select Raise to Walk and donate. Oh, I know the other thing. This is the other thing I was gonna say. Okay, should have had a list. I did not have a list. So. The other thing that we've talked about quite a bit is about giving their testimony, not only like what they've done in the past and what their hope is in, you know, in the place where they resettle, but so they need to have been telling them that they need to be prepared to share their testimony. So one of, um, one of our people is actually kind of the first person that I connected to myself. Um, he should be a college student. He was evacuated from, Pakistan by the Nazarene Fund in 2021 and uh, has just been kind of left in limbo there since then and he asked me if he could um, if I could help him write his testimony or I didn't write it he wrote his testimony he wanted me to help him uh, edit it basically and so we went through it this week I haven't the revisions yet but um it's this is a kind of surreal thought for the week i have taken evangelism with lee struggle and was taught by him how to share a testimony i have had writing classes by holly Bordway, who she's an amazing amazing writer uh, amazing writer amazing writing instructor she's absolutely amazing we have a um, launch party from let's see it's Advent 
2021, I think, when we did an issue dedicated to her. And uh, everybody was talking about, like, when you took classes from her, it was just almost a little bit of shock because, you know, I, when I first took a class from her, I thought I was going into the program, I thought I was a pretty good writer. And then had my first essay with uh, feedback from her, and you're just like, what was this? You know, and kind of in shock and just kind of have to learn how to, okay, take an edit and um, just work on it a little bit more. She's she's amazing. She's an amazing, amazing writing instructor. So I've been um, taught by her, right? And I've edited, I don't even know how many essays for an unexpected journal over the past five years. And so I've had all this experience in testimonies and writing and editing, but this testimony that I was editing today, this is literally, um, someone's life depends on it. You know, this is determined whether or not they will get a UNHR certification, get asylum, you know, that's, that was kind of my, uh, mind blowing thought for the week. And so, um, so working on shaping that up a little bit, um, and uh, I mean it's good. It was good to begin with, uh, but I'm just kind of making making sure it's the best that it can be. So anyway, that was my some of the things I was working on this week. But anyway, again, if you want to help our people, you can go to uh, DonSharmMinistries.org or Swalk. And uh, hope you have a great week, as well as. Um, you're able to do this so good. So I'll talk to you later and see you next time.